Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of finance. And in this episode, I'd like just to run through a few of the current uncertainties in the marketplace uh, that affect uh, all asset classes, including shares and property, uh, and just talk about you know, how to navigate some of these uh, uncertainties, if you like. Um, I guess the first thing to say is there's never a perfect time to invest. You know, the stars will never align. In reality, there's always going to be reasons why you should delay investing, why now is not the right time, uh, why the risks are too high. And uh, if you're waiting for a situation where there are no risks, uh, it's almost never going to occur. And so the solution is to learn how to sort of dance with the uncertainty, if you like. Uh, and really, there's two things that you can do in order to achieve that. The first one is, you know, focus on the long run, play the long game. You know, ignore any short-term outcomes as they are rarely relevant anyway. Stick to proven uh, investment fundamentals, uh, only adopt evidence-based strategies and play that long game. It often inspires a higher level of confidence, whereas if you focus on the short-term, uh, typically it creates a lot of anxiety. Secondly, embrace the fact that uncertainty is your friend. You know, potential investment returns and profits uh, tend to be greatly improved in times of higher uncertainty. So if you can become friends with uncertainty, uh, typically it's going to allow you to, you know, exploit opportunities in the market. Uh, early April is a really good example when COVID hit. You know, there was certainly a large amount of uncertainty at that point in time. And we help many of our clients uh, begin investing in share in the share market during April and subsequent months. So it might have been for quite a number of clients, their plan to commence share investing at some point over the next two or three years. We brought that forward, took the opportunity to invest in a more volatile market. Now, uh, six months later, that looks like a fantastic decision, but I'm not really that bothered. We're fixated on maximising long-term returns. It's just lucky uh, or, or um, convenient, I guess, that returns over the last six months have been very, very good. So you really have to be able to... It's easy to invest, uh, invest money when times are not uncertain, it's a lot more difficult or can be a lot more difficult to do it when there's high levels of uncertainty. You need to be able to operate in both environments. So with this in mind, I thought I would talk about a couple of the key risks at the moment and how we're helping clients kind of navigate those risks in terms of implementing their investment strategies. I think the, uh, the first one I wanted to talk about was the US election. And the first point I'd like to make there is that the markets focus on policies, not personalities. The media tends to focus on personalities, and I think that's probably a more interesting um, uh, thing to observe, but really the market's worried about policies. And from a pure policy and economic perspective, a Trump victory is more attractive to the market, at least in the shorter term. And the reason, is, reason for that is mainly because Trump's policy agenda is to be continually focused on tax cuts. To, ta to cut tax in, in corporate America and, and personal tax cuts as well. Whereas Biden wants to un, uh, wind back some of Trump's previous tax cuts, so it's a higher tax environment uh, under a Biden uh, government, a Biden leadership. 
and uh, the market's worried about whether now is the right time to really start winding back some of those tax cuts, particularly given the US economy is you know, struggling at the moment with lockdowns and the impact of COVID and so forth, and that will be the market's primary concern. Uh other than that, the only other divergence of policy or main divergence of policy is in energy. And it's fair to say that Biden's uh, genuinely favours uh, econ- environmental protection. So Biden plans to impose a, a carbon adjustment fee, although there's not a lot of uh, information about the implement- implementation of that. Of course, uh, from a market's perspective, uh, whether a president can implement their policy agenda really depends on whether they control the House of Representatives and the Senate. So it's it's really three arms of government, the president, House of Reps, and then the Senate. The Democrats already have a majority in the House of Reps, so they really need to win the Senate in order to win the three arms of government. And if they're able to do that, they can start implementing their policy agenda. Um, Whereas if they don't win back the Senate, um, uh, there's something called the filibuster, which means that which means the Republicans can start blocking any Biden's um, uh, policy agenda uh, and really retard uh, the government's ability to sort of implement some of their policies. Uh, So that could be an issue as well uh, in terms of uh, do they win back the Senate? Uh, and the the last uh, thing is what happens uh, if Trump loses? Will he go quietly? Uh, and I'm sure most people agree that that's unlikely. You know, uh, he could refuse to leave the White White House. Obviously, implement a legal challenge, and who who knows what else he would uh, would dream up. Uh, the market dislikes uncertainty, and that sort of events likely to produce a lot of uh, volatility, which. Uh, investors uh, need to be uh, considerate of or understand what's going to happen. And lastly, any delay in inaugurating a new president um, might also mean that, uh, or probably likely mean that the second stimulus package is also delayed. Um, And uh, that's uh, north of a trillion dollars in terms of stimulus at a time when certainly the economy uh, needs it. So a delay in stimulus would be a negative outcome for the market. Not much uh, that investors should be doing in relation to the US uh, elections in terms of investment strategy, other than just preparing uh, themselves for potentially higher and and potentially much higher short-term volatility. But we should come out uh, the other side largely intact. The second concern or risk, I guess, uh, that's currently present is Uh, the U.S. tech sector valuations. Uh, And I've got a chart that I share in the blog, so obviously it's uh, in the show notes and uh, on the website. And essentially it eloquently illustrates the impact of the six largest uh, tech stocks. So that's Facebook, Apple, Netflix, uh, Google, Amazon and Microsoft. Uh, And they've essentially over the last uh, seven-odd years contributed uh, 40% of the growth in the overall index. So that is, if you took out those top six companies, your annualized or average return, compounding return over the last seven and a half years, falls from 105 to about 7.5%. Um, so pretty considerable amount of returns just concentrated in just a few companies. And so this creates a couple of risks. Uh, firstly, will these tech stocks continue to deliver such high levels of return over the next seven years? 
and you'd have to argue that that's less likely. Uh, the second thing is you need to appreciate now that given how far these share prices have run for these six companies compared to 10 years ago, you've got a substantially increased exposure to that tech sector. In fact, those six companies now account for 26% of the S&P 500 index in the um, in the US. So that means you've diluted your exposure to other sectors and you've increased your exposure to the tech sector. And lastly, um, it's true that these tech companies have massive scale and they have certainly benefited from the impact of COVID in terms of increased online shopping, work from home, all those sorts of things. And I acknowledge they'll play a significant role in the economy in the future and including driving further productivity and so forth, which will be incredibly important. These things are all true. Uh, and it's also true that um, they're more than reflected in current prices, uh, all these impacts, and that valuations are reminiscent of the early 2000 dot-com bubble. Uh, so what happens if this tech bubble bursts, or maybe when this tech bubble bursts, what impact on returns and your portfolio will that have? So my general advice is to ensure your portfolio is underweight US tech sector. Now, I appreciate you might miss out on some returns in the short term, but in the long term, we know that that's a good strategy given where valuations are at, that future returns are unlikely to be uh, what, um, based on these valuations, what past returns have been. Uh, and you can achieve that by adopting alternative evidence-based index strategies. So other than market cap indexing, uh, things like fundamental indexing, dimensional indexing, those sorts of things. It's still important to have exposure to the US market. It's still the largest developed economy in the world and very important. Uh, most of those companies are global and global revenues. Uh, and so it's important to have some exposure. So not Avoid the US, really just make sure you're tilting away from that sector and really those six companies to some degree uh, that are the, the main problem, I guess, if I put problem in a, inverted commas. Uh, let's talk about the property market now. And I have uh, done a number of podcasts and written quite a bit about my expectations for the property market uh, with the most recent article being earlier this month in the Australian newspaper where I wrote that uh, for a whole host of reasons, and you'll find the link in the show notes to that article, um, of why I think a million-dollar-plus property market, that sector, uh, that higher-end kind of luxury sector, if you like, will lead the recovery. Um, and essentially, uh, if you're contemplating a property transaction, so that's either a sale of a property or a purchase, uh, in an investment-grade location, I see no reason for delay. But by the same token, there's also no reason to rush either. Just proceed as quickly as your circumstances allow it, um, but no need to worry about um, any future changes in the property market and let your short-term concerns or expectations drive the timing in which you implement your property plans. Uh, just go about your normal business, I think. Uh, there's nothing to see here. Uh, fundamentals uh, for investment-grade property locations remain largely intact. No concerns there. Uh, let's talk about overseas immigration because it's certainly been well-documented as a result of COVID and now international borders being closed that really Australia's overseas immigration has fallen to zero. 
and it might take two or three years for that actually to return back to pre-COVID levels. Um, and that's going to have some adverse economic impacts and could also impact uh, parts or sectors of the uh, property market. But what is you? What, are, what, what, what do you need to do as an investor to react or is there anything you need to do as an investor to react to these changes in immigration levels? Well, the first thing to recognise is that two-thirds of Australians' population growth comes from overseas immigration. So it is heavily, our population growth is heavily reliant upon immigrants coming to Australia. And immigrants coming to Australia is good for economic growth because um, a higher population tends to lead to higher productivity uh, and also higher levels of consumer demand. So in the short term, it's going to have adverse consequences, economic consequences. Now, some of those consequences will be offset by the federal budget stimulus that's been recently announced, but certainly it's going to have, you know, it's a negative impact on the economy from a macro level. Uh, From a property level, less likely to be an impact. Um, I doubt that overseas immigrants are contributing materially to the demand to purchase properties investment grade locations, particularly since two-thirds of immigrants tend to be on temporary visas, uh, and so they're more likely to be renters than property purchases, and if they are property purchases, they're probably less likely to be in investment grade locations. So perhaps the reduction in immigration levels uh, may weigh on rents and demand for rental properties, particularly, obviously, in sectors such as student accommodation. Um, but just generally speaking, there's going to be fewer, arguably fewer renters in the market, and that might weigh on rentals, uh, rental yields. I mean, COVID's already playing a role in that anyway. Uh, but in terms of capital growth uh, and the impacts on capital growth, in investment-grade locations, at a macro level, it might have an impact, but at on investment-grade locations, it's unlikely to have a material impact. So really, I think we can, to, to some degree, discount the impact of immigration to a large extent. And lastly, let's talk about interest rates. I have spoken about interest rates uh, quite a bit over the last uh, few months, um, and I've written you know, how interest rates are likely to remain lower for longer, uh, certainly for an extended period of time, and how fixed rates at the moment are around about half a percent lower than variable rates, uh, and given variable rates are unlikely to fall any further, uh, then uh, they certainly are very attractive. Home loan fixed rates are in the early 2%. Uh, you know, five years ago, approximately five years ago, inflation was in the early 2%. So uh, interest rates are ridiculously low, and there's two things we can take away from that. The first one is that they inflate asset prices. So that is that they will likely stimulate property prices. Uh, And secondly, and most importantly, that investing in your home, and I've done a podcast on that in April, uh, starts to become an even more attractive strategy, uh, especially if we think, well, our starting interest rate is very low, and interest rates are going to be low, so let's say, over the next five to ten years, uh, means we've got greater capacity to reduce debt. So therefore, um, borrowing a higher amount than we otherwise would, say, maybe ten years ago, uh, so that we can buy a home in a location that's superior and therefore going to provide superior capital growth that is otherwise tax-free, of course, uh, is a, um ever more attractive strategy today. So that's a key one to sort of take away 
from that from a strategy perspective. I've always tried to counsel my clients to buy well uh, when in, when buying a home. You know, otherwise buy an investment grade property and occupy it. Uh, and that that's true uh, certainly in the past, but even uh, more now than ever. Uh, it's a very, very powerful strategy. So investing in your home as a result of low interest rates, uh, a really good thing to do. I guess uh, to, to sum up, you know, perhaps this commentary shows that um, risks uh, on the face of it tend to fall in either sort of two categories. They're either just short-term noise, like the US election, that you don't need to worry about and you can kind of set aside and you just remain focused on long-term stick to the fundamentals, uh, invest according to the evidence and so forth. So that's the first category. Or the second category is that not really risk their opportunities. Uh, so interest rates uh, sort of fall into that category as well. That you've got to look for the silver lining. Maybe the US tech sector is one of those as well. That you can start tilting your portfolio in certain directions to expose it to uh, likely future higher returns. Uh, so there you go. There are a few of the risks that are on, uh, I guess, at the front of mind for a lot of people at the moment, our sort of house view and, and how we're navigating them. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it, get other people listening, the more the merrier. And until next week, bye for now.